In April 1975, a scant 13 months after the publication of Dungeons & Dragons, Gary Gygax asked Sandy Eisen a question that elicited a response which I think many modern gamers would find surprising. Writing in Europa issue 68 at the end of his second article on how to set up your Dungeons & Dragons campaign, Gygax picks up on a comment from an earlier issue of the zine in which Eisen had stated that D&D was not really as open-ended as it seemed to be. Gygax wanted to know why Eisen felt this way, and so he did the thing that good creatives do. He asked Eisen why. Eisen's reply was telling. Quote, I found the first few games intensely enjoyable and exciting. I really lived the part, and my willing suspension of disbelief found myself there, in the dungeon. My actions, and of course my thoughts about these actions, were dictated by real-life considerations, and no thought of wargame mechanics entered my head to distract me from the events going on. However, on my first games, by browsing through the rulebooks and pestering Roger with questions, I picked up a rough idea of the game mechanics, and it was this knowledge that, with the attendant realisation that D&D was just another miniatures combat system, albeit a highly imaginative and distinctive one, broke the spell of perfect involvement I had been under until then. Thus, when I spoke of D&D not being so open-ended, you misunderstood me. I did not mean in terms of the long-term course of the campaign and the lives of the characters, but rather the possibilities inherent in each fight, encounter, discovery, etc. These are still wide, but inevitably, when you are aware of the rules, you play out each situation with an eye to obtaining the best odds slash chances of survival, etc., considering the rules rather than the situation you are in, end quote. Then, having established these points, Sandy Eisen dropped a bomb that ignited a debate which we, some 45 years on, have forgotten. Eisen wrote, quote, I have decided that when I design and run my own dungeon, I will not permit the players, people who do not know about D&D yet, to discover the rules. This statement was so succinct and clear that later commentators referred to it as Eisen's vow, and it's a vow that I think is worthy of consideration for us today. If you say the real life ends up your days and you don't have time to play, well, midlife is the best time to start a new Hello Rescuers, thanks for joining us for another episode of Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. My name is Che Webster and today I want to talk about Eisen's Vow. Before I delve into the topic however, I'd like to acknowledge a huge debt to John Peterson, the Dungeons and Dragons scholar and author of Playing at the World and The Elusive Shift. It was Peterson's work on the elusive shift that unearthed Eisen's vow and the controversy around it 
as part of the much greater and highly worthy exploration of how role-playing games stopped being war games and became a category unto their own. Thank you, John. Your work continues to inspire many and is a huge help for those of us seeking to deepen our experience of the game. The key question is simple. Is there value in Ison's Vow? Can we create and nurture a different and richer experience of the game by invoking it? What are the ramifications of enacting it? This is Season 9, Episode 13. Ison's Vow. How were you introduced to the role-playing game? What was your first experience like? What captured your interest? When Gygax read Sandy Ison's words, quoted by Gary in his response, the shine is wearing off, the first question he asked was, who introduced you to play? From the following paragraphs, it's clear what Gary imagined was going on. Gary invokes a referee who is giving away too much too quickly. Quote, The players progress so quickly that 20th level becomes a run-of-the-mill thing, and where can it go from there? End quote. But as we heard from Eisen's response, the truth was far from the problem of power creep, Monty Hall gaming, and player greed. Thankfully, Gygax asked his second question. What caused you to find the shine rubbing away and the game not as open-ended as it seemed to be? Eisen's reply was very telling indeed. Quote, I found the first few games intensely enjoyable and exciting. I really lived the part and my willing suspension of disbelief found myself there, in the dungeon. My actions, and of course my thoughts about these actions, were dictated by real-life considerations and no thought of war game mechanics entered my head to distract me from the events going on. For those of us who first played and experienced something akin to what Eisen experienced in that first game of Dungeons & Dragons, of entering a fantastic otherworld and inhabiting it, the quest ever since has been to find our way back to that experience. And I can't help wonder if Eisen's vow that the answer is not to let the players know the rules of the game is still the most effective way to take a step deeper into inhabiting our characters and their role in the fantasy world the Game Master is trying to evoke. I can't help but wonder if we want to return to really living the part of experiencing the intensely enjoyable and exciting environment that's on offer in our games, whether we should also consider making Eisen's Vow. I remember that when I was first introduced to the role-playing game, my first experience was playing with my friend Daniel and a group he assembled in his front room. We were perhaps as young as seven or eight, and the game was Traveller, a game of science fiction adventure in the far future. And of course, I didn't know the rules. In that first experience, I was transported into the far future through the process of the never-bettered mini-game of Traveller's character creation process. For those who have never played 1977 Traveller, or any of the classic Traveller range as it developed through the early 1980s, this game had a whole mini-game in which you played out the early career of your character 
before they retired from their regular paid career and became a traveller, a class of roaming entrepreneur-cum-adventurers who band together to seek fortune and excitement. My first experience of traveller and of role-playing as a genre was a process of creating a character. And here's the thing that was interesting. I was rolling the dice, but I didn't really know exactly what the dice rolls would mean. In other words, I didn't really know the rules of the game, but that didn't matter because the experience Daniel was trying to give me was the experience of beginning to inhabit the role of a star-faring traveller, and the game was about discovering the story of his early life and career. The product was a character sheet with numbers I didn't really understand alongside some keywords that I did. My character was defined by some key characteristics, strength, endurance, dexterity, intelligence, education and social standing, and by the skills that he had learned through his career. I remember he was a dab hand with a laser pistol and he was an engineer with expertise with jump drives. And I still remember those details more than 40 years later. From the experience of creating my first character, alongside my friends who also went through the same process but to very different effect, I had also begun to learn some fundamentals about how the Traveller universe functioned. The key idea is of risk and reward, that by taking risks, sometimes even the risk of dying, which was very much part of the character generation in Traveller, you could receive the rewards on offer. At first, this appeared to be the reward of earning some money, credits as they are called in this universe, and being able to spend those credits on better gear. But my experience was widened once play began. One of the key rewards was the wonder of experiencing the intensely enjoyable and exciting environment that Daniel was describing. The world felt real, like it was a true secondary world, and I wanted to know more about it and so I kept playing. I was hooked from the word go by the curious idea of inhabiting the role of a character within a fantastic world unlike the primary world, and of being able to explore it vicariously through the eyes, ears and other senses of my laser-toting engineer. And I believe I had experienced something akin to what Eisen described back in 1975. Eisen's vow is simple. Quote, I will not permit the players, people who do not know about D&D yet, to discover the rules. And it might not seem, at first blush, that Eisen's vow is very controversial. After all, those of us who have been introducing new players to the game over the years will probably do as I do. I sit the new player down and I outline the basic structure of the game that you are going to take on the role of a person within a fantastic world and that the main thing to focus on is to play that role in the situations that I, as Game Master, will present. From there, I always insist that the best way to learn how to play is to simply play. And we go from there. In the most successful introductions to modern Dungeons & Dragons, I dispense with the character creation process and I give the new players a choice of archetypal pre-generated characters. Ideally, this is on a simplified character sheet too, and that is all, probably, very familiar to us as role players. 
I want to assert that the revolutionary idea contained in Eisen's vow is twofold. First, that the players will have a better experience of their character and the world within which they are playing if they don't know the rules. Secondly, that we don't need to be new players to play without knowing the rules. Let me restate Eisen's vow to drop the bit about new players, which, in the original text, is actually in brackets. By removing the bracketed phrase, which appears to classify players as people who do not know about D&D yet, an odd classification, understandable only really within the context of describing the magic of being introduced to Dungeons & Dragons. By removing that phrase, we end up with a restated Eisen's vow. I will not permit the players to discover the rules. In other words, people can come and play, but they do not get told the rules. They do not get to read the rules, and they do not get to interact with anything other than the fiction of the game. As Eisen himself acknowledges, quote, Of course this will put them at great disadvantage, and I feel I may have to put over quite a bit of information in the form of legend, folklore, tales, so that they will have some idea of what they are up against and what to try, but all without disclosing the game mechanics. Although learning by your mistakes will be a harder way, I feel that it will be more enjoyable both for the players and the referee. End quote. And that is the promise of Eisen's vow that it will be more enjoyable both for the players and the referee. How can we implement Eisen's vow? We live in a very different age to Eisen. Dungeons and Dragons is nearly 50 years old, not just 11 months as it was back then, and there have been many innovations in both the design of role-playing games and the way in which we play them in that time. What Peterson's elusive shift indicates is that in the long run, Eisen lost the argument. As Lewis Pulsifer, the eminent wargamer and game designer, wrote in Alarums and Excursions, the highly influential fanzine of the early D&D scene, he wrote some telling words in 1976. Quote, I am a fringe SF fan, but I play D&D as a war game. I hate luck. And consequently, I find many of the things reported, suggested, ridiculous. Pulsifer went on to later assert that rolling the dice as a player was much better for the game because it connected the player to the exciting tension of the moment in a tactile manner. This was a key argument in the attack on the idea of players not knowing the rules. After all, if you're rolling the dice, surely you need to know why you're rolling them. The regular way to play Dungeons & Dragons is to learn to play, as I described earlier, but with the full knowledge that to continue long term, you will need to learn the rules of the game. I have said before that I have experienced distinct irritation with players who either refuse to learn the rules or who find it difficult to learn the rules. But I think that this attitude is a mistake. The key question is easily asked, 
Is it necessary for the player to learn the rules of the game? The answer to that question is going to be very telling. As with all things of taste, what we often refer to as issues of playstyle, the answer you might give is personal and subjective, and there is no wrong answer. My answer is that no, I don't believe it's necessary for the player to learn the rules. I believe that you can have a deeply immersive and exciting experience of play without really knowing what all the numbers, die rolls and other rules-based jargon means. Eisen's vow, however, points us to a deeper question. Of course, if you have already disagreed with the first question, does a player need to learn the rules of the game, then this question will sound nuts. For those of us who are open to the idea, however, there is a deeper question. Would it be better for the player's experience of the game if they didn't learn the rules? For players who want to identify deeply with their character, what Robin Laws would later classify as the method actor player type, I would say that no, this player doesn't need to learn the rules, and further, that doing so will be damaging to the experience you are seeking. In Eisen's words, quote, inevitably when you are aware of the rules, you play out each situation with an eye on obtaining best odds slash chances of survival, etc., considering the rules rather than the situation you are in, end quote. In other words, you stop thinking of your character as a person you are inhabiting, and you begin to think in terms of your character as a pawn upon the surface of the game world. You are lifted out of first-person identification with your character and forced to consider them as a game piece, as if you're looking down upon them. For the method actor, this defeats the purpose of role-playing, to play the role of a living, breathing character within a secondary world. For the explorer of the fantastic world, a player type that I feel Laws missed in his groundbreaking Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering, Knowing the game rules is also unimportant, because the goal is to immerse oneself in the environment of the game's fantastic world. Put another way, if you're seeking fantasy, then rules get in the way of fantasising. Returning to Eisen's words, I believe he was, like me, this type of player. Quote, I found the first few games intensely enjoyable and exciting. I really lived the part and my willing suspension of disbelief found itself there, in the dungeon. My actions, and of course my thoughts about those actions, were dictated by real-life considerations and no thought of wargame mechanics entered my head to distract me from the events going on. End quote. I think that the storytellers and specialists, not to mention the casual gamers, would all feel just as comfortable with the idea of not learning the game rules. It's the wargaming half of the early role-playing hobby, as distinct from the science fiction fandom who formed the other half, who took serious issue with the idea of players not knowing their rules. I suppose that the power gamers and butt-kickers, Law's definition, not mine, I suspect they would feel something missing if they could not learn their character's particular game mechanical abilities and use them to great effect. And the tactician within me certainly feels more comfortable with knowing all the variables so that he can minimise the chance of mission failure and ensure that, ideally, nothing terribly exciting 
for which I really mean lethal, happens to my character. I wonder if the desire to sell more game rulebooks also had something to do with the drive to encourage, even require, every player to own and know their rules. Certainly the fact is that core rulebooks sell more than any other book published for any role-playing game. The belief that I need to know my rules so that I can learn to maximise my impact upon the game has taken hold of the majority. And there is nothing wrong with that as far as it goes. But if you are seeking a different experience from your role-playing games, if you are wanting to inhabit more closely the role and mindset of your character, if you are seeking to explore the exciting, fantastic world that your group is playing within, if you are seeking to willingly suspend your disbelief when you sit down to play your game, if you are seeking that, then you need to consider Eisen's vow. When I run my own game, I will not permit the players to discover the rules. That's it for this week on Roleplay Rescue. If you enjoyed the show and want to support the podcast, there are a bunch of things that you could do. Most generous of all, you could leave a review or positive rating. If you're on Twitter, follow me at UbiquitousRat. And big thanks to all the listeners who not only follow me, but also like and retweet episode announcements. If you're on MeWe, you can look me up and connect, or you could find the Roleplay Rescue page. If you have comments, you could drop me a call in via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue or email your sound recording directly to hello at rpgrescue.com. If you are looking for more Roleplay Rescue, check out the blog at roleplayrescue.com where I randomly post quick thoughts and gaming stuff as the whim takes me. If you want to buy me a digital coffee by way of thanks, why not drop by ko-fi.com slash cwebster. And finally, if you want to support the show with a little pocket change on a regular basis, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you to all the patrons. You guys keep me energised and motivated. Links to all of these places can be found in the show notes. Thanks to TJ Drennan for the main theme and stingers. Thanks to Anchor for airing and distributing the podcast to a huge range of podcatching services. And thanks to you, the listener. Well, for listening. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on. <laughs>